Hi there. I have a mission to educate, awaken, and empower people to transform their relationship with money and get them to live in purpose, find fulfillment without chasing money. I'm Edith Sidondo, a certified money coach, founder and CEO of Profit Acumen, a safe space where we help you navigate the complicated and emotional world of money and get you to shift your money story to one that leads you to your desired lifestyle. I welcome you today to your financial well-being podcast where we unpack the five pillars of financial well-being. I do believe as you stay tuned on this channel and get to implement the learnings on these five pillars correctly, you will begin to make tangible shifts to attract, retain, and grow your money as you elevate your own financial well-being. Today is a big day for me. I'm very, very excited. I'm grateful and delighted to begin our very first Financial Well-Being podcast our episode number one. It's been a long and winding journey to get this far. And the resistance I've faced, coupled with the loss of my father, on 9th of June, a very wise man, who was just not my father, but a friend and my career mentor. May his soul rest in eternal peace as I still feel the pain of losing him close to one month now. All this just confirmed to me that this is very necessary. Somebody somewhere is waiting for this podcast to help them transform their money dynamics and hence it had to be done. All this difficulty was not in vain. It's now been done and here we are. So we'll kick off with our financial well-being first pillar, financial conviction. Your set of beliefs that guide your money behavior. We'll deep dive in this topic in our first four episodes and our today's topic within this pillar is the need to be. One of the most profound needs of humanity is the need for identity. I need to know who I am. I need to exist in my own eyes and in those of others. We all need to feel important, special, unique, or needed. We are all in need of being, a need that is extremely deep. This need for identity is so imperious that it can lead to aberration, that departure from your usual self to find a sense of significance. So how do people get significance? Some by giving themselves some improbable new look, 
simply to exist in their own eyes and in those of others, either according to the models proposed by the surrounding culture, according to the criteria of such and such a changing fashion with which they identify themselves. And the media carry today a multitude of models, the young dynamic businessman or woman, the footballer of the English team, the top model, name it. On the more superficial level, this need for identity often seeks to suggest itself by having, by the possession of material goods, by a certain exterior lifestyle. I identify myself with my riches, my physical appearance, my home address, my phone, my car, and the list goes on. I have struggled with this way of living at some point in my life. Most of my growing up was in a small upcountry town and from a fairly modest family. As much as my parents were present and did their best to provide for our basic needs, for myself and my other five siblings, the education, food, clothing. A part of me was lost to self, and when I came to the city for my university studies, I found myself struggling with identity issues. That feeling that I don't fit in, or maybe I need to have this or that to be in this or the other crowd. I noticed the haves and have-nots, and I found myself comparing self to others, which led me to spend a good part of my money on my physical appearance. And I could struggle to work, to get jobs here and there, so that I could afford this and the other, to feel that I fit in to satisfy that need to exist in my own eyes and in those of others in a particular way. My whole identity then became about having a certain look, but all done from a place of trying to be noticed and not from a place of my own self-identity and comfort. And it took a lot of support from mentors because this kind of living, that lifestyle was so empty and dissatisfying and I had to seek help and I got support from mentors and coaching to change this and get me to a place of reflection on my own way of being to accept and love myself as I am. One of the most precious commodities we have as humans is our identity, the way we see ourselves and the way we access our self-worth. On a slightly higher level, the need to be can go further to seek satisfaction through the acquisition and exercise of certain talents, sporting, artistic, intellectual, speaking, singing. This may seem 
much better. But we must recognize that we then run the great risk of confusing being and doing. The person is identified with the ensemble of his or her talents and competencies. But we are not that. And what if you lose your capacities? If you are the best footballer in the world and end up in a wheelchair, if you know by heart the whole of English literature and an accident causes you to lose your memory, what will you be then? So this tendency to make oneself a being on the basis of doing, if understood well, has a positive aspect in the building up of the person who develops him or herself through the exercise of his or her different capacities. It is normal and good that one discovers self to be capable of doing such and such a thing, putting into act their potentials, and thus knows who they are, acquires self-confidence, experiences the joy of expressing the talents that have been placed in them. Education and pedagogy are based to a great extent on this tendency, and this is a good thing. But you cannot identify a person with a sum total of one's aptitude. The person is much more than that. You cannot judge someone only on his capacities. Each person has a unique value and dignity, independent of their innate capabilities. If this is not perceived, if you do not have a clear conviction of who you are, why you are here, what makes you happy, there is a great risk of falling into a deep existential crisis. When faced with a failure, or you may easily develop an attitude of contempt when confronted by your limitations and incapacities. I keep wondering if there is room in the world for the poor and the handicapped in a world where persons only exist in function of their efficacy and of the visible good that they are ready to produce. What room is there for these people? More often you find that this compensatory identity, away from one's true self, the artificial eye, has certain characteristics which are proper to it. As it is artificial, it needs a great output of energy to be maintained, and I can attest to that because I've been there. And as it is fragile, it needs to be defended, similar to a blown-up balloon. This often comes with spending money the wrong way, on accumulation of material goods, in search for that need to be. It's clear to me that there exists in our society today a terrible confusion when one pretends to suggest a need of being with one of having or doing. 
the belief system that your net worth equals your self-worth. Yet, they are entirely different. They have an entirely different meaning. Often, if we look closely enough, a far greater truth lies within words that we had imagined. For instance, let's for a moment separate and dissect these words. Net, worth, and self. And an entirely different picture comes into view. Net is anything that catches or entraps, ensnares a net amount, net profit, net price, or net result after all considerations. It's final. The word worth means monetary or the value of something measured by its qualities or by the esteem in which it is held. The word self means one's own person as distinct from all others. Upon considering the meaning of these words, we discovered that most of us feel trapped and measured by money, leaving the self alone and unaccounted for. And more often as humans, since we do not feel good about our net worth, we internalize that feeling by devaluing our self-worth. This is because we do not properly appreciate ourselves for being intrinsically valuable in our uniqueness, separate from our net worth. In my work as a money coach, one of the most difficult tasks is getting my clients to prepare their net worth statements, indicating their financial assets minus their financial liabilities. Some just refuse to do it. I find that this resistance, or so-called difficulty, comes from an inner discomfort as opposed to competence. That emotional turmoil that comes with not feeling worthy because of debt, negative cash balances, that feeling that my net worth just doesn't measure up. Believing that how much one has accumulated over the years is proof of how valuable one is. It is truly a painful experience. Taking wealth to be the ultimate measure of who we are and allowing oneself to be defined by it. The more painful thing is the number of people who have ended up realizing that people are interested in them for their money and not for who they are. And after having been held up high like the king or queens of the feast, find themselves sent back to a terrible solitude. And this often happens to politicians when they lose their political seats. The irony is, as those who have little or negative net worth feel a corresponding lack of self-worth, have equally experienced clients with very high net worth but with very low self-esteem. They still do not feel worthy 
Despite their large bank balances, they appear to have everything, yet they feel they are nothing. I believe this lack of self-esteem is caused by a profound spiritual bankruptcy. By basing our lives on the pursuit of money and material gain, we often neglect the self and its inherent longing for spiritual connection, which is unique to human beings. As stated by Deborah Price in her book, Money Magic, it's clearly apparent that we need to redefine our true net worth. That understanding that we are valuable rather than how valuable we are. So how do we get to do this? One, through love and connection. Love is the oxygen of life. It's what we all want and need most. When we love completely, we feel alive. Then growth. If you're not growing, you're what? You're dying. If a relationship is not growing, if a business is not growing, if you are not growing, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, how many friends you have, how many people love you, you are not going to experience real fulfillment. And the reason we grow, I believe, is so we have something of value to give. Life is not about me. Life is about we. Then contribution. You may have heard this already. The secret to living is giving. What's the first thing you do when you get good and exciting news? You call somebody you love and share it. Life is about we. Without these connections to the self, our true worth is diminished and life becomes an endless search for substitutes to fill the spiritual void. We need to create a new paradigm for living, one that breaks that ensnaring trap that comes with chasing money for its own sake. As we conclude our session today, it's important we understand that money is simply a vehicle for trying to meet our needs and not just our financial needs. Much of our life is guided by the beliefs we develop over the course of time. The story we create about what life is about, how we are supposed to be, what we are supposed to do or give. Ultimately, there is nothing more significant than growing and giving. So when you are pursuing money, don't forget why you are pursuing it. To get more of these valuable insights, invest in your money journal by clicking the link below. This money journal is a tool for you and your money. And inside this journal, there's a topic on your healthy self-esteem which will help you begin to live a more connected life by becoming your own best friend. Our monthly 
online collaborative sessions are also ongoing. Every first Friday of the month, we meet online in the Money Coaching Hub. Take up your membership on the below link and get started on a journey to transform your money story. Subscribe and like our YouTube channel and let's connect in our next episode. Thank you for listening. We are always delighted to serve you.